Hello and welcome to this episode of Starting Line from Off The Track. My name is Peter. This episode we welcome back our friends, the 2020 German F1 and Schools National Champions and 2022 World Finalists, Sonic Boom. This episode is a continuation of the Starting Line series. This time we're focusing on CAD and technical drawings. You'll be learning about how to choose CAD software, the different software formats that are used, and how to model in CAD. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Off The Track. I'm Enes Isayen, the host of today's episode. I'm joined by Janis Gorzil. Hello. Florian Wolf. Hi guys. Benjamin Galvin. Hello. And our special guest for this episode, Bilal Yildirim. He's an engineer at Alfa Romeo F1 and even more important, an F1 in schools judge. But more on that later. Today we want to discuss some of the most crucial parts in designing your car, which are CAD and technical drawings. Your CAD data is the basis for all manufacturing processes. It therefore determines the quality of your final car and can make the difference between losing and winning a competition. But starting from the beginning, Bilal, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello everybody, my name is Spira Yeldum. I'm Digital Performance Engineer at Alfa Romeo Zauber F1 team and I'm working there since five years. I started as an engineer in the aero department and from there on I switched into a more um, cross position between um, IT, engineering, manufacturing and um, other departments which is um, taking then the lead on to remove all the digital bottlenecks we have, which um, should improve then the development of our race car. All right, great. So moving on, there are many software options out there, and sometimes it might be overwhelming trying to choose the right option for your team. Florian, do you want to give us a quick overview over the options that a new team has? Yeah, so uh, we are a German team, and here in Germany we we use Solid Edge, but uh, more on that later. First of all, I think the most common one is uh, the Autodesk version Fusion 360, or uh, at least they use also Inventor, because it's, uh, yeah, they have a really good student program and it's uh, free for all students. The same is uh, here in Germany with uh, Solid Edge, which is, uh, yeah, used by most teams because it, uh, back then it was mandatory because, uh, the local F1 in schools had, uh, are sponsoring with, uh, Siemens. So Solid Edge was uh, mandatory to use for all teams. And, uh, right now we are still using Solid Edge because uh, it has many opportunities and it's really similar to, uh, yeah, the, the industrial SolidWorks or Siemens NX, which also some teams are using, uh, yeah, by, by having a sponsoring or something like that. But I think down at you guys in Australia, you use mostly Autodesk, is that right? Uh, yeah, so Autodesk is still probably the most prominent program we have here in Australia, uh, mainly because it's a sponsor of the competition as well as uh, like you said, it's a fantastic student program. It's free for most students, and it's also a rendering tool, quite a capable rendering tool. Inventor is also quite popular, and another one that's used by a lot of, um, especially older, uh, based schools that have been competing for a, at least a decade. They also tend to use Katia. All right. Uh, that's a bit more complex and complicated, and uh, yeah, three sixty is most commonly used. Yes, because I think it has also a simple structure. Katia, as far as I know, is also used in uh, aviation industry. And also the uh, freeform surface modeling there is, uh, has uh, a lot of opportunities. That's the problem we have with uh, Solid Edge. It's, it's quite complex to, to get the right surfaces you, you want really to, to produce. So... Uh, I think there's also a feature in Autodesk Fusion, therefore it's quite good to, to use for F1 schools because you have those complex shapes. Mila, what, did you start it? I mean, you competed in the competition as well. 
Um, so I actually started with Katia and that was like 15 years ago. And um, then I found out it was mandatory to have Solid Edge. So I had to switch to Solid Edge back then. <laughs> and um, the But the truth is that um, if you want to do really more complex surfaces, generative shape design or or more um yeah parametric designs it's um it's i think you rather go for katia or, or nx or then um but solid edge i think or fusion 360 are good for beginners and um to get the basics as you will you would be quite uh, overwhelmed by the amount of function and complexity um and in, in uh, within the i would say nx or um katia oh actually it's now called 3d experience so um yeah I mean, I guess for a new team starting, it doesn't really matter which software they use, like from which company as like if they start with a beginner software like Autodesk Fusion or Solid Edge, it doesn't really matter which software you choose. I mean, don't put too much time in trying to choose the right software, just start right away. Yeah, I think it's uh, necessary to know the software and not uh, and not to change every year because yeah. you can uh, design your car in all softwares and uh, to learn another software it's very uh, expensive in time and i think it's not smart i totally agree yes and uh, that's the same thing in our team because uh, we started on using uh, solid edge we also would have the opportunity to use siemens nx but we're quite familiar now with uh, solid edge so we just stick with solid edge for the world finals so you talked about learning a new CAD, so talking about that point, I mean, learning CAD is like learning a new language. It's important to learn the vocabulary, but even more important to practice. So how did you guys, we only have like engineers in this podcast, how did you guys start achieving the skills for constructing such a complex model as an F1 and schools car, but also like other complex parts? Yes, um, F1 and schools is uh, a mid program on our in our school but the teams participating in the competition they they did just for a year so they had really just the basic knowledge of of solid edge but it was great to have someone who who knows these basics and could teach you some know-how but participating the second the third the fourth year it was uh, our turn to to gain some knowledge uh, by watching tutorials, trying out new things. It, it's just a thing of experience. You have to keep on designing cars, designing uh, something, yeah, just for fun, but you you also learn by, uh, by doing. We had quite a unique program at our school where F1 Schools was mandatory for iSTEM students, uh, which is practically a, it, it's a, a course that we take on basically focuses around STEM, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And within iSTEM, we have a mini F1 schools competition against each other. All the students have to design their own car, and that's actually begun in Katia. So in about year eight, I was taught how to use Katia from uh, the teachers. We basically were given an initial template. From there, we could explore the, the tools further and slowly develop our skills and some of the students would then go into the F1 schools competition. That's how we selected teams. But within our, I think, second year of competing in a professional class, we switched to Fusion 360. Uh, this was just so we could uh, have a more capable rendering tool. And from there, we sort of self-taught ourselves, but also learnt from previous mentors uh, our team had uh, quite a few contacts and our school had quite a rich history in the local competition. So from there, we were able to teach ourselves the the new program. And as you said, it's just learning from doing. The more time on the program is more you learn. And Katia, with uh, which uh, workbenches did you start? It is a fantastic question and I cannot remember. Um, okay. Often. Yeah, it's been quite some time since I've used Katia within the competition. Okay. All right. So starting your CAD construction may seem hard in the beginning, but there are many different approaches which will get you to your final model. But starting with F1 and schools cars, what approach did you use, Yanis, in your old team when you started? I think the first time we started to um, 
cut pieces of the car uh, off the block and then we uh, had a very uh, edgy car after this but um, i recommend 2d uh, sketches and then um, design the car in 3d so we started uh, one half of the car and then uh, we mirror it um, yes yeah that's basically uh, what i think there two basic approaches as janet said so the first one would be to subtract volume from the uh, ruled uh, f1 model block but that's uh, very complex and personally i think you could not get those shapes that you actually want to have in the end but uh, that's why we use the other way around so we start uh, building up volume by uh, using 2D sketches and then building the uh, 3D model from scratch, basically. We did the same thing where we build up from initial 2D sketches as well, loft the main body and then work around just molding the shapes. Well, it's still interesting to see most of the teams who were going to participate the first time they're just using the uh, basic operations like uh, extrusion or cut out and it was uh, the second year i think we found out that there are functions like a loft or sweep yeah. which uh, helps you to get the exact shape because as an engineer with your engineering team you have that shape in mind you want to produce and that's the challenge. And uh, just having those uh, 3D operations extrusion or cutout won't won't work out. So uh, you really have to uh, to work on the understanding of the program, the different operations, the yeah. op op opportunities to uh, get those shapes really. Yeah, therefore I uh, would recommend to uh, learn the commands of the software and. It's important to know your software and then you could produce your your forms that you think of. What approaches are there in real F1? Like if you want to design a car? I think it's usually you start with the boundary conditions. It's um, so basically where are your design limits? That would be as well, for example, for F1 in schools, you will potentially start to set up where your area is or your volume, where you're allowed to design. Then um, you start to think about them possibly about the transition between these areas you think about what's the task of each volume you know for example with the front wing rear wing um, you think about what its purpose is based on this you you start to design the wireframe and then with the wireframe together you um you set up then the the, the parametric um possibilities finally you actually the last step is to create then the surfaces or or your um your part your solid bodies and then um you go basically into checking that stuff yeah and that's interesting that would be another question um as far as i know there are also different approaches in designing those uh, surfaces so you have these basic operations extrusion and that's already a volume but there's also the other approach by just using surfaces you uh, connect to your 2d or 3d uh sketches so i think in formula one the real f1 you just use the second approach is that right yeah the thing the first one would be more for simpler shape for example um let's say that something like this here you would um mm -hmm. for sure um, take something like a solid maybe and then you would start to get the edges right and then um be able to control the shape by that but if you if you really want to think more in a maybe organic shape or more into a shape that is uh, multi-purposeful then um, you 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 might be better on with them um, going for for wireframe and surfaces and then um, going from there onwards no right yeah that's interesting but i think it's it's very complex as we tried that out for our world finance car because we also see the progress in, or the opportunity in using surface modeling, but it's it's way more complex. Yeah, the complexity comes from the possible controls you can have, and you need to yes. you you the complexities as well by thinking about um, which um, parameters you want to control after you are finished, and then you need to um, basically design more thinking couple of steps in advance. I do really agree. Yes. 
that makes actually the complexity because uh, you might not know what for um what for feature might fail when you're finished and then you try to update the complete model you know and then um, that's why i think it's quite crucial as a beginner to understand the basic functions where the limit of the functions are for example with the extrude you know it goes only in one direction and it can only um for example a 2d sketch you cannot extrude then when it does 2d you cannot extrude it like this only in that direction then um, you can have the same then with sweeps or or anything that um, moves then along and, um, in in uh, in um, 3D. But um, yeah, that's that's like this uh, core complexity to be able to think a couple of steps in advance to solve then in your current um, process uh, that shape. Yeah, I think Florian for regional uh, for. Some of our regional cars, you like constructed the chamber ro rotating the part. Could you elaborate on that, maybe? That's uh, the rotational extrusion. Uh, so you have that basic 2D sketch and have an axis. You want to rotate the volume around. So yeah, you already you only create uh, more or less the half of the volume and then rotate it around the axis. But it's too, but then again, still based on a two D shape, and then you basically rotate it around the axis. So, so, so it's something, yeah. To really get, for example, a nice shape around the sides of the car, uh, or around the front and the rear, or around then the mid of the car on a F one in a school's car, and for example, around the pressure about the pressure chamber and then um everything around this um yeah you usually start then to use maybe splines and then um, these kind of components together with points to be able to control then that that's a complex surface modeling yes but the question is if if it's really necessary for the f1 and schools competition i think when it comes to the professional class maybe but just for the basic start for F1 school for new F1 school teams, I think it's it's more or less the the best way to to use those basic rules, geometry operations, extrusion, cut, and maybe loft. But uh, as we said before, it's it's the most important thing to to get familiar with the uh, with the software. Yeah. So I think best approach would be um, first year you start with. Uh, classic um extrusion as you said and with these i would say more this the starter functions and solid once you understood them you can then try to take your time um, for a couple of months to understand the, the these functions in 3d like points lines splines and um, whatever you have available and then you try to get these things together and then um, trying to create them um, surfaces with that and there you can, um, I think you won't find that much in the internet, right? Yeah, that's that's another problem, yes. As um, as I was as well looking myself be before I started here, you, you're not able to find that much about this in the internet, actually. Right. And um, it, these are more than shape shaping as well, um, what you find, which is, yeah is okay but um is not gonna be that stable when you wanna change the shape of it yeah i think uh Janis and his team beyond they they used another method to to produce their 3d shapes by using the uh, curve table i think it's called yes you have um parameter that uh, we write in this table and values and then um, Solid Edge creates a sketch, a 3D sketch uh, of that. And then you can use this, use it to um, do freeform surfaces. And after that, you create uh, a part. But um, I think it's not recommend to um, yeah, younger teams because um, you have a very um, you must understand what you think in your um, in your head, and 
you must type it in values and that's very but difficult. That goes a bit in, into um, generative design or not uh, to, to basically set up the parameters and then creating a surface and then did you do that over certain macros or how, how did you approach that actually? Uh, in third edge you only can do it with an uh, Excel mm -hmm. sheet. Uh, Which is fine and, for a start. Yes, and um, there you can type in parameter and values and then um, it only creates a 3D sketch and then you have to create um, freeform surfaces and then the part of that. Yeah, so I think it's in some way it's quite limited because uh, you have to fill in these uh, coordinates into an Excel sheet. The first thing is it's quite abstract to think about those shapes. The yes. other thing is that it's not parametric modeling, which uh, then brings us to the next question, I think. Yeah, like how do you construct a car that you, um, or a model that you want to change afterwards? What options are out there? And I think it might be quite helpful to like have a parametric CAD data that you can change in order to do like, um, yeah, different appro design approaches and maybe test them in a the virtual wind uh, tunnel, so. Yeah. yeah. First of all, I think it's important to to explain what is parametric modeling. I think uh, Anas, he might give an excursus. Yeah. So basically, I mean, you worked with it, Florian, but basically, is setting up your modules so that you can change certain parameters without having conflicts in your construction in your CAD data, um, and that helps you like varying the different designs. So if let's say you're trying to um, do like four or three prototypes from a car and you want to test them in the virtual wind tunnel you don't want to construct the whole car again so um, you just construct the car parametrically so that you can change like i don't know the wingspan or something without the whole cad model crashing and then you could um, do analysis in cfd wind tunnel yeah and maybe how did you, how did we do that at the um, national finals and then also I'd be interested how the others did that like how is it done in real life in the real life one world and also Benjamin how did you work with that right so um, we uh, basically start in in Solid Edge you have those uh, different um, files so we start in a .par file so that's the basic part and uh, as we said before, it's it's the combination of 2D sketches, first of all. So uh, we define all those uh, parameters there and we can um, write them in an Excel down so we can change them later on. And then we create those uh, surfaces or volumes out of that. And all those uh, parameters are variables you can write down in Excel and change them later on. The challenge is to, to have a model that will not explode later on when you change any <laughs> values because that's that's mainly the problem, yes. And from that dot part uh, file, you can uh, do splits in parts so the interrelations are, uh, yeah, we can, we can keep those interrelations up uh, without changing every single part uh, from scratch. Maybe for those who didn't use Solid Edge, just because Florian said .par, that's like the native um, format in Solid Edge. Right. Ben, how did you work? Or how did you try to do like a car which is as parametric as possible? Um, so I know within Ascension, we did a lot of rapid prototyping. I think in total, there were about 200 different prototypes in which we uh, properly tested. And one of our engineers, uh, Fefe Webster, um, who was the one who actually mauled the car. Uh, from memory, I believe what he did was he would go through and change each individual component uh, based on small millimeter fractions and then save as a new file. And we had each individual component of our car split up. Um, so if we wanted to test a completely different rear wing, it wasn't too difficult to um, take the rear wing from this file and put it onto the main body. Um, I believe we had one main testing body that we used for our um, flow design and also utilized ANSYS um, 
Uh, Antis. Fluent. CFX. Um, I can't remember the, the name of it, to be honest. Yeah, there are just two, actually. I think uh, Ansys yeah. uh, Fluent and Ansys CFX. Yes. Yeah, Fluent, I believe it was. Yeah. The more complex one. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> it, it took a while to get working. Um, it, it was closing into the, the final stages of development where we were um, delving into Ansys because it was... Whilst worthwhile, definitely getting working. Um, it, the data it provides is incredible compared to um, flow design, but uh, yeah, it definitely took its time. Yeah, regarding parametric design, I think first thing is to really stop the thing in one direction. So when you design your car, when you design your CAD model, stop the thing in one direction. That means. Uh, you always should be able to come back to a previous point. So and you should think in a two-way direct two-way approach. So once you change once you design your complete car, you need to be able to step up in, in the in in an area um, area of it to be able to change it and still everything works afterwards, like changing the width of the car and in the and for example the basic parameters, you should be able then everything else is updating itself. Um, then you should think about um, what do you actually want to control. I mean, with the with the wing at the at the F1 and schools car, for example, let's take the rear wing. You actually don't want to change the thickness that often, right? So you, I guess, you want to keep the thickness at the minimum, as the inter interaction with the with the air should be as small as possible. That means you might be not interested in changing the thickness, so you leave out that parameter, for example, as a constant. But you would like to play with the um, width and with the length of it, and and or with the position. So what you're then gonna do is um, you could, for example, um, define a two D sketch somewhere in space around um, around the rear of the car in that area where it's allowed to have that piece. And then you would like to move that sketch in on the on the symmetry plane, but um, doing that, for example, when you remove when you move then the um, the swings um, to a lower area, you actually need to move it then wider, right? Because um, you you need to fulfill a minimum width. So what you could do there is you could constrain your design in a way that um, the minimum width of the wing needs to be always given. So that means um, you could intersect the outer shell and then think about how you create an offset in a way that it's always that um, shape. With this, you could analyze pretty quickly or create pretty quickly CAD models with different positions of the rear wing where you have different angles, different um, yeah, lengths or, or maybe try with its shape a bit to be able to influence um, yeah, the characteristics of the rear end of the mm -hmm. car. And um, that's, um, yeah, so you try to build up a kind of abstract um, wireframe or abstract um, approach first with what you are able to control. And once you have that, you basically make the surface or the solids then happen. I think um, this example with the rear ring on the F1 and schools um, car, you could pretty easily do as well with a solid uh, shape and still be parametric. Yeah, the other thing is to keep down the uh, the uh, single steps to have the your final model because uh, when you change a parameter just in one of the first steps you did, you have uh, solver times from or up to two minutes or something like that it's sometimes it's quite annoying because you want to make a little change and then uh, yeah see how the car turns out and it uh, solves two minutes and if you then are not happy with the result you have to go back and it's, so it takes a, another two minutes and that could be annoying but 
that's the challenge but then uh, ben, ben you you mentioned something where you created basically a modular approach of or that you have a huge matrix of geometries in the end for from the rapid prototyping point of view but why are you not doing that for example with the cat files where you for example divide your car into front and rear or mid front rear or whatever and then you just change you have then potentially free designers and then every designer could iterate around his area and um and then um and then also the update process might be faster yeah i think that's uh, basically a good idea but uh f1 schools the uh the rules are quite complex but they they leave you a lot of space to to um i think in the real f1 everything is uh, really defined so you have you you cannot try those a lot of things but uh, in f1 schools i think there are different approaches different car shapes so if we think of doing another shape you can't really divide the car in in a rear th section and a front section because they basically interact in in the same way but for example i could imagine doing this for the the wings the rear ports side ports and wheels for example but the basic shape of the car must be in a in one file i think yeah i i think um i think that could be um yeah a decent option for the start yeah i actually spoke um last week as well with um formula student guys and um they also um starting to dividing their car much more into sub pieces and then as you described but there the number of pieces is just a bit more as they have as well the engine and the yeah, cooling and then so on yeah all right interesting we talked about collaborating on the cad uh, module so one thing that is important when you have multiple cad engineers working on a part or project is consistency so how would you achieve this consistency and avoid conflicts starting with ben maybe and then to bilal how is that done in the real f1 world uh when it came to collaboration with ascension we actually had a pretty easy We had only two engineers within our team um, at the World Finals, uh, Brock and Fefe. And between those two, they kind of collaborate amongst each other with initial ideas and concepts. However, we had Fefe uh, create the main model of the car in terms of 3D, and then Brock would manufacture the car afterwards. Um, and so... Uh, whilst initial collaboration was there, coming up with concepts and and definitely uh, in the refinement process, uh, the main uh, consistency was was kept pretty uh, close, as only one person was actually altering the model itself. I think um, the most crucial part is as well the point of communication between the engineers. I think um, when you can underline that a couple of times. Without that. Um, You can throw as many engineers into a design problem, you know, you will come up with something pretty weird. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you need to give them the option to exchange each other on regular base. First of all, then, um, you define the different areas, which uh, each designer should take, uh, um, ownership on or their responsibility. And then once that is done, then um, you let them, You let them, um, you let them do their thing basically and exchange uh, each other, um, yeah, often enough, maybe not too often, but often enough to, um, to show the progress and as well in which direction it should be developed on and, um, which problems are um, more prominent and which are more, um, easier to solve. So you would divide the part into different sections? You mean the complete car in different areas? Yeah. So for yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you you could even go further down. I mean, um, you have um, the rear wing, front wing, and and all these each components are then um, divided into different um, um, as as they are already different parts of the rules. So you define them and divide them as well in different part of um, of designers and. But the but the thing I think the big difference to um, F1 and schools is that you. That not only one or two designers are doing basically the complete thing with um, simulation and designing. You have here then uh, NF1 more the approach that you have for each 
process step as well a dedicated person so a designer would do the shape of the of the of the com of the components and then aerodynamics would simulate them and then um, and then someone needs to calculate this regarding uh, stiffness and compliance and the uh, compliance and um, and um, um, uh, yeah so that that thing is not breaking on the track and then you have the guys who needs to make um, uh, design the car uh, components to to make them producible but how do you assure that the person that is for example developing a part on the front wing has the same concept in mind like the person optimizing the rear wing and yeah, that's why you use uh, um you need to communicate often so it's it's um you need to come together define a roadmap in advance or basically um, um direction you want to develop on and um that is then coordinated usually by the um, team leaders or by the head of department or chief arrow or or any um i would say from from the leaders and uh, yeah right so imagine in a f1 in schools if you would do the f1 approach there you would have um one uh, let's call it head of um head of design okay and then then you would have uh, like three engineers where one engineer is doing that part on the car that other one this part and then that other one the final guy who's doing the the wheels and then the guy the, the head of design basically is responsible for that all of these three engineers are communicating on, on the right topics uh, about the car and um that development direction is um is set up properly right so i i see the problem and uh, as janis is one of or is is a new team member we had also the same problem yeah. because it was really interesting to see their different approaches and as you said communication is the first part but every design engineer has his own uh, structure or his own way to to build those um volumes those shapes so uh Janice and i we had to uh yeah communicate quite a lot and yeah teach us some things maybe you can elaborate on that do, do you mean that with this the design methodology so how you design basically yes basically yes also design standards yeah so these are methodologies then um, yeah like the standards yeah i'd say yes okay so Janis, you wanted to uh Yeah, I want to say that uh, we, um, before we start to design a car, um, we set design standards, um, for example, the length of, of the car. And after that, one of us um, designs the chassis, um, the main part of the car. And then um, we talk about that and then we uh, everybody um, designs rings and other parts of the car. And then we have a few options and then we uh, look up uh, in the cfd which option is the best that's really the advantage of parametric modeling so it's most of the time one of us who who models the basic chassis but then we communicate and say um yeah what do you think about this idea or, or about that and the advantage of parametric modeling is that you can change those uh, sketches and surfaces so it's it's a never stopping process you have those basic design but then it's important to have those options to change it and uh, make it in that way you really want it as a team yeah so maybe extending on the metaphor that we had in the beginning so every engineer has his own handwriting and in a team it's important to be able to read the handwriting of the others and maybe that's like the most important thing that you should take away from this section is to communicate with your other design engineer if there is one and um, yeah that you have the same plan in mind but moving on as pointed out in previous episodes it's essential to build a rule compliant car therefore you should consider all the rule constraints in your designing process so what how did we do that in the f1 and schools competition maybe ben you start yeah so we took quite a, an interesting approach when it came to designing a car um with a couple of different kpis key performance indicators um, and compliance actually took out 
um, about 50% of our KPIs in terms of our mathematical model to set that up. Um, so when it came to ensuring our car was legal, we undertook a, a lot of rigorous testing when it came to our own design constraints and what sort of um, additives we needed to uh, ensure were on the car um, to create a, a perfectly legal car. And measuring was constantly taken under every step of the manufacturing process. So, so, so you you had then as well like a tracker to see where you currently are and uh, always been able to monitor your your uh, development and the progress. Yeah, with these KPIs. Okay. Yeah, in our folio we had a a little almost chart where it had uh, the three individual KPIs uh, stacking up to each other. And that helped us follow the process of the development between each car, shows us the trends uh, between each one uh, to create the best car possible. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, when it comes to f schools or our team, we, uh, we adopted the strategy of the real F1. So we have those volumes, those constraints where we are constructing in. And uh, the other thing is to you really have the uh, regulations in mind. That's one of the most important things, I'd say. So for all new teams, I think it's the best way to keep on having a look at uh, the regulations, train, train those uh, rules and uh, have them always in mind so, so you don't have to look them up every time. But uh, I think the most important thing is um, measuring the uh, rules all the time. Whenever you do a change, check if the change is rule compliant. And um, what is the approach at real F1 teams when consequences for slight rule of infringements are as severe as we saw with the disqualification of Lewis Hamilton due to a slight rule break at the rear wing? Yeah, I think um, here we need to distinguish between um, design by um so when you design something in, in, in CAD then it might look completely different than in the real world. So we we have as well the point of deflection or or um something breaks or anything is um not uh, fixed as it should be due to the problem of um something was a boundary maybe was missed in the in the simulation of, of the stress. And um so there are plenty of um things we need to respect so first obviously the, the shape itself but then when you um, simulate it that it's um, the right boundary conditions as described for example when when a car imagine you develop the, um, the, the a wing or any shape on the car without uh, um, analysis of when the car drives over curbs that um, for example driving over curbs will create a certain frequency and that will then um yeah potentially in worst case will break any part on the car and um then as well the the FIA doing a couple of checks as well on the racetrack as 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 you just highlighted with uh, Lewis then um yeah you need to prepare basically um that already at the start when you have the idea this means write down the rules you have for the area you work on create a, some kind of checklist or reduce then the, um, this uh, this kind of couple of lines of text into certain easier understandable checks maybe, and then um, um, once you're happy with your design and want to pass this over for manufacturing, for example, then um, then you go quickly through these checks and then to see where you need to improve. So that as uh, as uh, Florian said, that uh, you should do that. Uh, always with that in mind when you design anything so be able to know all the time uh, the details of the rules and then um, usually you um, discover more and more details the more you design and the more you the more you check i think there are also like possibilities to check your rule compliance within the cad maybe for the rear wing you want to explain how we did that flo I'm talking about like the rule with the flow, for example, that you have like three millimeters flow. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. So, 
So at some point, it's uh, interesting to have some some helpers, I will call them. So, uh, for example, for the world finance, you have those uh, five millimeters from uh, from each surface point from the rear wing, which uh, does not or is not allowed to interrupt the uh, airflow. So we have those helpers in mind. So we just created an offset surface from the wing, which is in the CAD model. So we can easily see if uh, we have those five millimeters that are not broken. One thing that interests me personally, as we are talking about rules, is searching for loopholes in rules. Is there like a dedicated person in the F1 team that searches for these loopholes? Or how do you approach working with your rule, yeah, with the regulations that you got? Yeah, that, to be honest, depends on the team. So there are really various different approaches for that. And the, but I think the, the most um, crucial thing that I can say is that the um, first thing, you really need to know the rules and you really need to have a lot of experience. And combining both of these things could, could come up then with something like a loophole. But... Um, Obviously, the FIA is fighting to reduce this, and um, and as well, um, once you found anything, people will as well copy that. So, once uh, you have an idea and you think you have something, be be conscious that um, cop teams will copy that, even eventually for the race afterwards or the, the two races afterwards. So yeah, so it's it's not like. Uh, you have found the holy grail of whatever loophole and then uh, you um, you think you are automatically the winner. I mean, uh, um, it's the competitiveness of the competition that will, um, um, yeah, people will copy that. <laughs> Any experiences on that in your F1 schools team? Yeah, to, 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 to be fair, to be fair, you guys for sure always look at the winner car from last year and then you think about how to make that better, right? <laughs> so this is usually um, the approach. Absolutely. Um, I remember like you, you'll go to a competition and, um, the, the year after, um, I remember when Infinity broke the world record, um, there were six or seven cars that looked the exact same rock up to the starting grid. And, and that's just going to happen within uh, anything for that matter when it comes to engineering. They're going to want the best design. But I remember we had one concept that uh, we ourselves developed by making an asymmetric car, removing half of our rear wing because there's technically no regulation. Although we didn't run it due to the um, uh, total stress that was then placed on the rear wing when it was uh, stopped. But within F1 schools, they've kind of patched the whole uh, loopholes. Um, that there's no longer going to be any major loopholes, I feel, within F1 schools due to what they deem spirit of the competition. And that comes up to judges' discretion by the end of the day. So if you do come up with a loophole, I do recommend getting it checked. Shoot F1 schools an email, probably. That'd be my best bet. Otherwise, you may find out your car will be illegal and it's not going to be worth it. But isn't it when you then ask for it, then it's automatically kind of anyways, they say gonna say it's legal and then you can, can you not talk about this at the competition then? If you ask about it, I feel like you'd, you'd be more invited to talk about it in your development. However, I know that when it comes to the, the safety of F1 schools cars, they, they tend to take that quite seriously and they think that may be deemed too unsafe, uh, such as the LERS, uh, Launch Energy Recovering System, that was deemed illegal back in 2017, the year after Infinity broke the world record. That that was initially designed as a loophole and then uh, was was deemed illegal a couple of years later. But they've really cracked on it over the past few years. But then maybe if your t team finds a loophole, because all the questions that you ask if one of schools will be like responded to publicly because they want to make it fair to every team. So maybe if you find a loophole, you yeah should think about if, if it is worth it and if you're properly uh, able to argue for it. But then asking for it would make it like useless because other teams would see the response to your question. There are loopholes within the competition that I know about that I've seen other teams develop that most teams don't know about. 
it's because F1 schools tend to keep their communication quite close with the individual team. And this team in question I'm thinking about uh, in particular had discovered a certain loophole that was sped up the car quite significantly in F1 schools uh, deemed it not to be spirit of the competition. So, All right. Yeah, I think in F1 you have a bit like um, a similar thing that uh, if you ask the FIA for um, for certain areas which are not that clear, then um, the FIA needs to write a clarification afterwards and that's going to be sent as well to everyone. So, And then this is then as well studied from them and they want to know then what you're working on. Especially right now where all the rules are completely new and um, every hint or any any kind of idea or how to think about this is uh, could be um yeah could be a kind of um reveal of where you are in the development process right yes all right so once you're done with designing the final parts you want you may want to create an assembly any thoughts on how to do that and why it is practical to do an assembly of all your parts in the cad process yeah i think it's common to do that yes it's it's no question but i think you have all those parts and as we had the topic before, you have to check all those rules and the best way to check rules and measure those parameters is, is an assembly. So you basically connect all the parts together correctly. That's important. So all parts are defined and have those relations in between. So, uh, when you change your cars, the assembly changes too. I I think it's more for the for uh, for checking the rules. And I think it's important to check if um the parts are right connected when you produce all of the parts and you can check um the rate of your car uh, if you know the um, material data or the weight distribution as well, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Right. So and that's also the step in between uh, designing the car and then exporting it for manufacturing processes because uh, or for simulations for example because uh, you don't want to check the rearing as a single piece because you want the whole car the whole front uh, for example to check in the wind tunnel so you you have in the end you have to to do somehow an assembly to check your car for aerodynamics or rules or connections, whatever. Or tolerances as well. Yes, right. All right. So moving on to the next big part, which is technical drawing. For the competition, you have to submit a technical drawing with which you should be able to assemble the car, but also manufacture the different parts. So my question would be like, what was the approach um, in the competition for doing such a technical drawing and maybe getting the insight from Bilal as well how he would do such a technical drawing. Technical drawings within Fusion 360 are quite easy. Um, there's there's just a, a drawing uh, workspace that you could enter and when highlighting a part, it will create a drawing uh, of a specific part. You can change different line widths, uh, different line types. Uh, you can also include different regulations i know we had our virtual cargo outlined in technical drawing that was done by just creating a, a physical block inside the car uh, that represented where the virtual cargo was to the exact specifications uh, and just putting that as hidden detail so so within fusion 360 it was relatively easy you also want to be uh, extensive with with your technical drawings don't want to leave out any detail I remember it being explained to me once as a judge should realistically be able to sit down with a computer in front of them and rebuild your car to the exact specifications. So if you can't do that yourself, then how is a judgment too? Okay. Yeah, and I think the the best approach for new teams, uh, especially, would be to have a look at the rules because at the, at the end of the rules, there's a explanation of of the more or less basic technical drawing. It's, I think, a good reference to uh, begin a uh, new technic technical drawing if you have no experience. So uh, I think that would be the best approach for new teams. Yes, and I think every CAD software 
have a part where we can um, produce a technical drawing so it edge also yeah i think it's quite important to know the purpose of the technical drawing so do you want to make it for assembly do you want to make it for the manufacturer or do you want to make it for the legality or do you want to um make it for um anything else so let's take for example the virtual volume as in the f1 in schools cars um you might not um uh, need that virtual volume for someone who's manufacturing that thing um and um or um is is might be only important as well not important for the guy who's assembling the car <laughs> is uh, is only for the for the basically for the for the regulation checks uh for the, um, the scrutineers and um yeah so once you know for who you make it um the the this, this drawing just make it as simple as possible because adding more dimensions adding more tolerances adding more um anything to it, it it will just make it more complex to understand and it takes more time and as well you potentially will um, oversee anything so um imagine you you give someone who's manufacturing the the axis of your f1 and schools car you will not need that bomb of it so the bill of materials so which which components now needs to be um, assembled together so you just want to know the tolerances the width the length and um, imagine you need to produce that component yourself just put also that information on it and for someone who needs to assemble something um, yeah i think it's as well important that you have uh, your bill of material on it to see which components you need or what um what process you need to do with these components like you screw it or do you maybe um need to glue some stuff or um yeah being able to see where which part goes yeah yeah so the thing is in the uh, regulations it said that the technical drawing should be there for assembling the car producing the car uh, so the parts of the car and it is recommended to label the relevant technical regulations so would you suggest to divide the technical drawing in different parts so to have multiple um, engineering drawings that you submit one for each purpose if that's allowed yes i mean um, then you can write as well on the drawing for example that this one is for this and that for that as um the guys who are anyway curious and wants to see more he can take just all the free together and um yeah but i think making it more dedicated uh, reduces the, the amount of information you have on one paper do you like to read for example um newspaper where a bit only text is on it and super small written and then ten thousand lines or is it also interesting to have a picture next to it which helps you to um, illustrate what you're talking about then a bit um, yeah so yeah show only the core important information facts great so once you've finished with your CAD you may want to export it to another program or hand it over to a manufacturer and for that it is important to understand that there are different data formats out there and um, yeah we could talk about them in the next section of this podcast maybe Flo you want to start yeah so uh, basically as we talked about earlier you have those native data formats of the uh, different software uh, and you have those neutral data formats as you could call them so um, in solid edge you have those dot par and dot asms and if you want to export them or use those cat files in other programs you have to uh, use different native or you have to actually use neutral data formats. There are different ones. I could imagine .igis, for example, or .stl, which is pretty common to use for 3D printing. The data format we, we use most for exporting is uh, the .stp or .stap file format because it's a industrial standard and uh, Almost every software can read it, and uh, you have lots of information stored in that file. Yeah, so maybe to give you like a quick overview, like the IGS format that Flo talked about is like a format where your model is um, yeah, exported into a wireframe, and it may be um, yeah, 
good to use that format if you want to do like iterative analysis like a cfd analysis or a finite element uh, analysis then you might want to use igs and as flo pointed out like stl is more the format that you might use in 3d printing and um yeah the format that we use most commonly if we, we want to communicate with our partners with our manufacturing partners is um, the STP format because it's easily um, accessible for the manufacturer. But maybe Bilal, you, you want to give the technical uh, background of these formats? Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, you need to divide between, um, as you said, the native one, and then you have these formats which are easy to share. But these are more mathematical described surfaces, as the STL, for example, a stereolithographical, is, is called. Um, you have like a points which describes the over triangulars the shape of your, of your geometry, which are more, um, yeah, pretty. Um, it's not representing the right mathematical shape, for example, for a circle. You basically discretize them, the so a circle into points, and then makes it a bit more edgy. If you would think about so the the, the more points the, the higher resolution and the more detailed uh, info you will get this is um, more required for printing as as described or as well for um this, uh, for cfd or virtual wind tunnel as you call it then you have um this formats like step igers and um that's are uh, the two most common i think which are used and more to exchange that geometrical information with suppliers that they can use them for their manufacturing bits like CAM processes for their CNC machines. So um, they can calculate then their tool paths with that properly. Uh, so with this STL, that might be a bit uh, yeah, weird. <laughs> and then the native um, formats you exchange within your team usually. All right. So thanks for listening to this special episode of Off The Track. Remember to follow OTT on social media and to follow at Team Sonic Boom as well. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Off The Track. If you enjoyed this episode, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. And share the podcast with someone else who may find it useful. Stay up to date with us by following us on Instagram at Off The Track Podcast and visit offthetrack.net for the latest news.